Hello, music fans. As you probably noticed in the title, this is a bonus episode of Jingle Jank. We made this episode a bonus because it doesn't follow our normal format of playing obscure music from YouTube. Instead, we'll be reviewing the album You'll Shoot Your Eye Out by the band Ralphie's Red Riders. If you like 90s pop punk music from bands like Green Day, Offspring, or Blink-182, or if you love the movie A Christmas Story, then you'll really enjoy this album. If this isn't your thing, just stop listening now and move on with your life. On to the show! It's Christmas time at Higby's. At Higby's, you can find something for everyone on your holiday shopping list. Higby's offers free hot cocoa, free gift wrapping, and if you come to our downtown location this Saturday night, be sure to bring your little elves because Santa Claus will be making an appearance in his magic castle from 6 to 10. Remember, if you haven't seen Higby's today, you haven't seen Higby's. Welcome to the first ever bonus episode of Jingle Jank. I'm your host, Scott, joined as always by Jay. Hello, Jay. Scott, how are you, man? It's fantastic to be here, and I am really excited. It's November 1st. The calendar has flipped. If you're listening to this, you are hearing us in the future. That's right. We're not dropping this episode until the album we're covering gets released, but we're very excited to bring this one to you today. This album is by our friend and fellow podcaster, Mike Patton. He asked in our Christmas Discord if anyone would be interested in covering his new album. And I politely said, sure, that that sounds fine. And I really didn't know what to expect. And he sent me the album, and it's fantastic. Jay, this is right in our wheelhouse. It, it feels like it was pulled straight out of the 90s. Yeah, the sound is fantastic. And I, I said to Scott, you know, after I listened to the album, and I li- did listen to the whole album and was, like, jumping around. This thing definitely had me moving. But it, it is, like... Definitely has that good mid nineties. It's got a good SoCal kind of sound to it. And it's, I said, it's, you know, tight was the way I I thought of describing this. And I do not mean that like a hipster way. I'm I'm not a musician or, but just everything about this sounded really good. It was like really well put together. It was like, this is just tight. That was the best way to describe it. Yeah. And when I say it was pulled straight out of the nineties, I mean that in the most positive way that I can, it reminds me of, Green Day and Offspring and Weezer and Some 41 and all the bands that we loved in college. I believe Mike is about our age. He probably has the same influences we do, and it really comes out in the music. Yeah, you know, this, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about the background of the band, but like when I say tight, I think, you know, one of the things I'm trying to say is like, this doesn't sound like this is the first thing these guys have done together. This, like, if you had told me this was Blink 182, did a Christmas album or did an album about a Christmas story, I would say this is it. You know, it sounds like that. I totally agree. I had no idea what to expect. And it's fair to say that all my expectations were completely, I don't know, exceeded. Yeah. And I, and I hope that, um, I hope that the band takes that as a compliment in the form of, I don't think like you're emulating or mocking somebody else's sound. I mean, like the production, like the genre is is that is what I'm trying to capture. And it's like the production is like, this is something that's like, this is a real deal album. Yeah, This is not a basement project by a bunch of hacks, not, not by a long shot. Exactly. Now, Jay, when Mike approached me about this and said, would you review it? And I said, yes. And then I listened to it. I I went back to him and said, this is great. I'd love to do an entire bonus episode on it. And he said, all right, well, that would be great. He was a super nice guy, very appreciative. So I asked him for some background information on him and the band and the album. So as I mentioned, it's by uh, Mike Patton, who also has a podcast called Snow in Southtown. We'll put a link in the show notes to it. He discovered a band last year called The Home Alones, and he loved them. He was joking with them about starting a rival band. Now, The Home Alones, all their music is about the movie Home Alone. So he joked about starting a Christmas story band, and The Home Alones loved it. So Mike wrote his first song, I Can't Put My Arms Down, that we'll play in a little bit. Mike uh, started a band called Vista Blue in 2015, and they do a Christmas album each year. But he talked to the guys, and they wanted to do this completely different project for 2020. Uh, This was pre-COVID. They got Matt from Out Loud Records on board, and they wrote the songs earlier this year. The link to the whole album will be on Bandcamp. We'll put that in the show notes. And one more note here. Jay, you know when you watch a movie with one of those really annoying people, 
Yeah. That gives you all sorts of facts, and they're really annoying about it. And they say, well, the book was better uh, in, in this way or that. Yes. I'm very familiar with that. Yes. That's going to be me today. Yeah. That- with, with all the references to a Christmas story. This is my favorite Christmas movie, possibly my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, and that's where you know this this could very well be a perfect storm because in terms of uh, an enabler, I'm I'm right there with you. This is definitely my favorite of, of all the Christmas movies. You know, it's it's right up there, followed closely by you know National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, of course. But right. yeah, this is one I can I can legitimately watch this over and over again when they run the marathon every year. So this is definitely uh, that's why I'm so excited about this. When you said let's do this bonus episode, it was a, a, a no doubter for me. Now, I would have done the episode even if it were just for the music, but when I was listening to it, I started thinking about all the clips from A Christmas Story we could play and all of the interesting trivia we could bring up. And honestly, on Jingle Jank, we're never going to get the opportunity to do an episode on A Christmas Story. It's a movie. We don't do movies. Right. So this is as much an opportunity for us just to talk about our favorite movie as it is to play some really, really great music themed on the movie. Right, right, right. With all that out of the way, why don't we just get into the music? We're going to play clips from the songs today. Now, in the pop punk style, many of these tracks are short on the short side. Some are, you know, 90 seconds, most are under two minutes. So I really didn't want to play a full minute of each one and you know give away most of the music. So we're going to play some shorter clips. The first song today, though, My Decoder Ring, it's on YouTube in its entirety, and we're going to put the link to that. In fact, that'll probably be the only YouTube link in the show notes. So I asked Mike if we could play the song in its entirety, and he said yes. So let's start with track number one, My Decoder Ring. Jay, that was My Decoder Ring, the first track off of the album You'll Shoot Your Eye Out by Ralphie's Red Riders. First impressions? I loved it, man. This I like I was I listened to this. Uh, I will tell you, I, I did my my first listen through kind of earlier in the day and I was drinking a cup of coffee and by the time this song was was uh nearing uh it's finished i was bouncing around my kitchen and kind of bebopping so just it sounds fantastic yeah i was uh, humming along with this one i listened to it over and over really enjoyed it i mean it feels like it's straight off a green day album and i mean that in the most loving way possible yeah and i mean you know this is part of this too is like you immediately have this emotional connection with um, one of the things I like is if when you like something as much as I think we both like this movie, having somebody else do something that's an homage to it, that, that like this person who wrote this song and this music cares about this as much as I do. And I know that we're talking about a Christmas movie and it sounds almost insane to describe it like that, but it's like, you have this immediate connection of like, it's not just music I'm listening to. It's like, it's, I'm listening to somebody else enjoy something that I also enjoy a lot. So it's kind of a cool, yeah. that's, that was my initial reaction when I first, because honestly, one more thing I'll say is I would, I didn't know what to expect. This is the first album about a you know piece of visual art that I think I've listened to before. That's like, you know, a fan album almost, or it is right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's so much fun. The video is also pretty cool. Now, here's our first opportunity, Jay, to play clips from A Christmas Story. So here's a quick clip about the Dakota Ring. Now it's time for Annie's secret message for you members of the Secret Circle. 
Remember, kids, only members of any secret circle can decode any secret message. Remember, Annie is depending on you. Set your pins to B2. Here is the message. 12, 11. I am in my first secret meeting. 14. 11, 18, 16... Pierre was in great voice tonight. I could tell that tonight's message was really important. 3, 25, that's a message from Annie herself. All right, so that's a scene from the movie where Ralphie has received his decoder ring in the mail after waiting months for it and is now listening to the Little Orphan Annie show getting his first secret message. So much fun. I never had a decoder ring growing up, Jay. I don't know about you. No, I never, I never did. And this, you know, radio entertainment, like in this format, predates our time. But we got these kinds of things in cereal boxes, right? Yes, yeah, so that that's the only way that I think we'd ever get something like this. Yeah, there was one in um, Sugar Smacks, which, by the way, no longer Sugar Smacks. They just call them like Honey Smacks or something. Like they kind of they. Right, right. The word sugar is verboten now. Yeah, it's it's definitely, the, and they're not as good. Yeah. So just side note, but um, yeah, they had one. I can remember. They Welcome had to a, Cereal Talk with Jay and Scott. <laughs> yeah, this week on Breakfast. Uh, yeah, so yeah. That's, there's uh, a podcast called Cereal Killers. If you want to know about breakfast cereals, go listen to them. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> is that? Yeah. Are you? Did you just make that up, or is that really a podcast? No, no, it's a it's a real podcast that I listen to. Oh my god, awesome! Yeah, it's great. Now, in the movie, um, Ralphie says that he drank gallons of Ovaltine to get the inner seal to send away for the decoder ring. Now, here, here we go. This is the first annoying reference to the book by me. In the original book, the book is called In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. He says their family didn't drink Ovaltine. They were an oatmeal family, and he ends up finding an Ovaltine can in an alley. Huh. That's how he gets it. Now, obviously, a lot of these things were changed to make the movie you know, flow better or work better. Right. But, you know, I just thought that was really interesting. Right. Now, who do you, can you tell us who wrote the book? Yeah, Gene Shepard. Gene Shepard. Okay. And, and yeah, who's the, who is the narrator in the movie? And he wrote the screenplay along with somebody else. Okay. So it's his voice in the movie. Yes. Okay. Gene Shepard is also in the movie itself. When Ralphie goes to Higby's department store to go see Santa Claus and they walk, yeah. they walk to the end of the line and an older male gentleman says, Hey kid, where do you think you're going? Yeah. That's Gene Shepard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, the voice actually now, like in my head, I yeah. can hear that guy's voice. Yeah, it exactly. sounds familiar. Now the first message that Ralphie decodes famously is just a commercial for Ovaltine. And he says, Oh, a crummy commercial. Okay. Uh, one more quick note on this. Yeah. Ralphie transcribes the numbers wrong when he's writing them down. So the Pierre Andre, the announcer, the last number he says is 25 and Ralphie writes down 11. Interesting. A little, little, uh, a little East, not an Easter egg, but a, a continuity good, like, error. editing catch there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was my decoder ring. That was the song in its entirety. The rest of the songs we're going to play today are the clips. I should also mention the the album is $5. Let's all do our best. If you have $5, go support these guys. This is so awesome. I'm going to buy a copy. Jay, I'm sure you will too. And I would encourage everybody to do that if they're able. Yeah, I would love to. And I, you know, I checked out uh, their Twitter account today at Ralphie's Riders. And the note said that uh, November 1st, CD release with download code and November 27th, full digital streaming release. So um, yeah, so I got to, I got to check out, I'd, I'd like to get a copy of the, uh, the album itself. So that sounds like that's an option. I know that like, I'm not, I'm not a complete uh, uh, um, Luddite in that regard, but uh, I definitely want to get the, sometimes it's good to get the physical CD. You have a much smaller place than I do. I wouldn't imagine you have room for all that kind of <laughs> yeah, I historical can hear my wife at me right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't need that crap. Okay. Uh, track number two, I can't put my arms down. Here we go. It's time to get ready. That was I Can't Put My Arms Down, track number two. Jay, from the movie, this is where Ralphie's mom, Mrs. Parker, dresses up uh, his little brother Randy in so many layers that his arms are out at his sides and he can't put them down because they keep you know, going back up from all the layers. 
Yeah, it's arguably one of the most iconic scenes and, and memories from this movie, which is hard to say. It's hard to say there's one because there's so many, but this is you know, the, not being able to put his arms down. Musically, I will say this song is my favorite song on the album, and I can guarantee you in a couple hours when I'm paddling out to the Pacific, I will be screaming, I can't put my arms down. Like yeah. It just it got in my head, and I've been bouncing around listening to this all day. Totally agree with you. This is one of the most quotable lines from the movie. When TBS starts teasing the 24-hour marathon this is one of the clips that you see. And I ha- I, I brought a clip for us. Come on, Mom, we're going to be late. All right, Ralph. My kid brother looked like a tick about the pop. What? What is it? What is it? Oh. What is it? I almost think I hear the little kid actor there laughing during his whimpering. And I, I, yeah. I like that. It endears yeah. it to me. It's good. Like, and especially like, you know, how many times they must've tried to, to make that, like yeah. to do that take over and over again. I can't imagine. And this is visually and, you know, audibly it is, I think a signature part of the film because you, you hear this, you see it, you recognize it. So this just my favorite song on the album. This continues forward into the movie because he gets pushed Randy gets pushed down by Scott Farkas and he's unable to stand back up because he's lost the use of his arms so he can't get himself up so he's lying like a turtle on his back. Pretty great. Let's move on to track number three, Bumpus Hounds. I love that line about the 785, you know, direct, yeah. you know, direct quote from the movie. So yeah. great. And I, I just, I love the hook in this song. This one could be one of my favorites. Yeah. You know, this is one of the things why this movie is so important to me is my, my father, who, who, you know, Scott is not a man who, who was has been known to gush about many things emotionally. This was one movie that he just absolutely loved like a kid. Like when he saw this the first time, he couldn't wait to show it to everybody else. He couldn't wait for it. And this is long before it was on TV constantly. This yeah. was when like, he had like a ratty VHS copy of it from some dude at work that gave it to him, which was how we got most things as a kid somebody else's ratty <laughs> hand-me-down yeah. version of it and it was like he loved this thing so much so and and the bumpus hound thing was like this was one of his you know like you know now that i i now realize you know the bumpuses are a metaphor <laughs> the hounds are all of our hounds right <laughs> yeah i didn't i didn't appreciate this uh, as much as i do until i became an adult and owned a house and you know started complaining about the neighbor's dogs Right. It was funny when I was a kid, you know, but it's, and I have to tell you now, like I live in a town where like there, if you don't have a dog, you're mud. And it's a very like, you know, there's a park across the street from my house. And it's not unusual for like one of our friends, dogs just wander into our place. And like, and, and like the other day I was on a conference call, dog just walked through and I was like, well, hey, bud. <laughs> Jay, I do have a clip of the Bumpus Hounds from the movie. Bumpus hounds, da 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 da. Our hillbilly neighbors, the Bumpuses, had at least 785 smelly hound dogs, and they ignored every other human being on earth but my old man. One note here: in the original book, the Bumpus hounds steal the Easter ham, not the Christmas turkey. So mm. obviously, it was changed for the screenplay. But I thought that was kind of neat. It's a whole separate. Uh, section in the book the the book in god we trust and all others pay cash is a collection of short stories now right. this was specifically a short story of its own and talking about how having an easter ham was something his father really looked forward to and they actually had to save quite a bit of money up oh. for it so having the dogs steal the the ham which you know had such a high value both monetarily and personally oh. was a really really big deal yeah so uh, a pretty funny story in there. Great scene in the movie, too, where the dogs charge in, you know, destroy the kitchen table, which I always thought was really funny. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's I never yeah. knew that. That's a really like, and it does kind of like tug at your heartstrings when you think about that. What a, what a ham must have cost back then for a family. Yeah, that was track number three. Track number four is the Higby's introduction, and we played that at the top of the show. Uh, track number five is I want to go to Higby's tonight. Jay, that was I Want to Go to Higby's Tonight, track number five. Uh, if you're the kind of listener that you know really just wants to get to the music and doesn't want to hear me talk, you might want to hit skip 30 a few times here. I have a lot of notes about Higby's department store. Yeah, Scott, Higby's is as much a character in this story and in this movie as any of the actual humans are. I mean, it's it's as a set, it really is like, and I don't know like who did the set or who designed it, and I wish I had their names. Oh, I've got notes on all of that. Okay, for all right, you. Go ahead. It's, right. it's it is awesome. Okay, so Higby's was a real department store in the Cleveland, Ohio area. The movie producers searched several states for a department store they could shoot in. Higby's then vice president, R. Bruce Campbell, welcomed the publicity and he offered to feed the crew, do the actor's hair and makeup, build all the sets, and provide extras for the scenes. Wow. Yeah. Here's a really cool note. I did not know this. Campbell was concerned that the profanity in the original script would damage Higby's family-friendly reputation, and he personally made edits to remove the swearing and that was a condition of allowing filming to take place. So the producers agreed to the edits, and all the swears from the old man are just gibberish grumbling. And I actually think that adds to the movie, and I think a real swear would kind of take away from it. What do you think? I, yeah, I agree. So first of all, my mind is blown by this this tidbit that you just interjected, because I'm thinking, so this guy, he, this is the reason why it's fudge, you know, is... Yeah. All, all these years I, and it, I obviously I just assume they censored it to make it to package it to make it family friendly and yes I agree the grumbling of um that they use to replace the swearing fits it's better I would I wouldn't want it to be the other way I mean I don't know if I would have liked it more if he was actually swearing I probably would have because I saw this movie you know for the first time probably when I was at that age where it would have been you know but yeah, yeah I don't I just don't think it'd be what it is today which is the family friendly I don't know, you know, the thing that it is, everybody can watch this movie. It's on TBS for 24 hours. You don't have to worry about kids seeing it or hearing profane language. So yeah, here's the art imitating life hook for you here. So my father, okay. once a year, we lived in, I grew up in Connecticut in the Northeast where it was cold. And once a year in October, November, when it got cold enough to turn the heat on for the first time, we had oil-based heat. So I don't know for those of our listeners. Yeah, we too. Yeah, so oil, heat. You know, it's burning oil to heat your home. And once a year, the heat would turn on for the first time and the furnace would kick on and it would, my father would run from one end of the house to the other screaming that the house was on fire because the smell of like the furnace yep. turning on, it's in the walls. He'd think, you know, there was the fire department showed up to my house one time, trucks, the whole nine yards. And it was just the smell of the furnace. This happened every year. I guarantee, I, and I kid you not, like we can ask my brother, verify this. So this guy running around because the furnace was fritzing out was like <laughs> something everybody in my house, when we saw this the first time, looked at my dad, like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, and we got it. Like, you know, yeah. so much like the hounds, we all have a furnace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have a couple more notes here. The 12 floor Higby company building in Cleveland's public square. It opened in 1931 and it eventually closed in 2002 Higby's was operated as a Dillard's between 1992 and 2002. Jay, I believe Dillard's is long gone as well. Am I right on that? Or you know what? That's a good question. I don't know. Dillard's is, did they, you, you also grew up in the Northeast. I don't think we had Dillard's, did we? We did. Yes, we did. We did. Okay. I, oh, I, yeah. It's not one that I remember in particular. I think maybe in New York, I might've seen that. They might've been still I thought, around. I thought Macy's bought them, but I could be wrong. If, if they're still in business, they're not going to be in business much longer because no malls are going to make it through this. Yeah. Retail okay. is not doing well. <laughs> yeah. Now, one more cool note. In 2012, the Higby building became home to the Horseshoe Casino. 
but they still do the classic window displays each year as an homage to the movie and the original department store, which I just think is fantastic. So I guess if you're in the Cleveland area, go give some business to the Horseshoe Casino because that's really cool of them to do. Yeah, that is cool. I do have a clip from Higby's from the movie. Higby's corner window was traditionally a high watermark of the pre-Christmas season. First-nighters packed earmuff to earmuff jostled in wonderment before a golden, tinkling display of mechanized, electronic joy. Now, that's a seminal scene in the movie. It's right at the beginning, but it introduces us to Ralphie seeing the Red Rider BB gun display, and it really sets the tone for the whole movie, kind of sets up the plot and everything. And it's it's a great scene. If you listen to the book, I, I listen to the book. It's narrated by Dick Cavett. It's absolutely fantastic. But if you read or listen to the book, Gene Shepard goes into painstaking detail about everything that's in the window. The explanations and the exposition alone is worth the, the cost of the book. Yeah, that sounds like it. And, you know, I, I think, again, for you and I, this although there were still department stores of this nature, for sure. When we were kids, this thing was, you know, where we lived in the suburbs, you didn't have this kind of thing yet. You used you, you had strip malls at the time, um, which, you know, still had a little bit, but it wasn't, it wasn't like this for us. It was the JC Penny Christmas catalog, but it's the same thing. You know, it's like Higby's window is that thing that you got each year. That was like, this is a window into whether it's, you know, literal or figurative into like what Christmas might have to offer, you know, and everything. So I kind of like, I think, Whoever you are, whatever your Higby's window was, you can relate to that. Did your parents take you to the Festival of Lights in Hartford? No, they did not. We went into Hartford for Christmas Eve every year. My my grandparents, my mother's house that she grew up in was in downtown Hartford. And so we would go there for Christmas Eve. It was my grandparents' house. So we got to see the lights around Hartford. Like that was a part of the thing that we did. But my parents were not big joiners of events like that. <laughs> okay. Um, they did the Christmas window in in the festival G Fox or whatever it was, was yeah that? it was now let's not say anymore because i will okay. throw i'll throw in an easter egg or a contest right. here for our listeners if anybody is from the northeast or i guess just does the work to figure it out if you can tell me what the name of the plaza where the the festival of lights was originally held not bushnell park where it is in connecticut email us at jinglejankpodcast at gmail.com and i will buy you a copy of this album How's that, Jay? I think I know what the answer is to this. I'm obviously not going to say it. It's one of those things burned into my brain, but. Yeah. And also one note, it was not Nakatomi Plaza. So don't eat. But if you email me that, I'll, I will laugh. <laughs> okay, Nakatomi <laughs> Plaza. That's a good one. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to track number six. This is Hey Scut, You Suck. Hey Scut, You Suck. Hey Scut, You Suck. If I were to be artistically critical, I would say, and I have to think about this, but like beating up Farkas wasn't a premeditated act. It was an emotional snapping, you know, and this sound, this song implies like there's some premeditated nature of it. And I I don't think that's how it was in the movie. Uh, In the book, Scott Farkas never exists. Interesting. Only Grover Dill does. He's the only one mentioned in the book. But I have a note here that the director, Bob Clark, uh, when he saw the the characters playing Scott Farkas and Grover Dill, which Grover Dill was the sidekick to Scott Farkas. He was the shorter kid. He called him uh, Farkas's crummy little toady. Exactly. Um, Bob Clark switched the two characters um, for the screenplay um, right on the set. So in the original script, it's it's not... not, uh, Grover Dill was the... So it was, was just the, the other way the around? Villain. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, so I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. I do have a quick clip from... And, and Jay, this it, a lot of people mess this up. It's not Scott, like my name. It's Scut. S-C-U-T. Yeah. I have a quick clip. <laughs> Scott Farkas. Scott Farkas. What a rotten name. We were trapped. There he stood between us and the alley. Scott Farkas staring out at us with his yellow eyes. He had yellow eyes, so help me God, yellow eyes. Now, he does not have yellow eyes in the movie, but it's a 
it, I, I love that visual scene. That's the first time we see the villain, Scott Farkas. Yeah. And I like the Peter and the Wolf music playing in the background. I thought that was a great, great tie-in. Yeah, and I never, you know, it's funny you should mention that he doesn't have yellow eyes. It's like a detail that I probably noticed but didn't notice, but it's almost like he says it. It's like they didn't need to be yellow. You just kind of imagine it, you <laughs> know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of those kind of things in the book and the movie where the way he remembers something is very different from what the reality was. Right. We may get into that later. Remind me to bring up the Scott Newman theory of Santa Claus okay. uh, from Higby's later All right. on. So let's move on to track number seven. I'm going to get an A-plus on my theme. could be one of my favorites too yeah i like this song a lot i'll hold my commentary but this is one of the ones that definitely it's a little bit it's probably the most different yeah absolutely i think this song has a real weezer feel to it jay you mentioned the Lemonheads. yeah it's it's um it's a different feel from all the other tracks <laughs> like a radio friendly track yeah it's a little bit more on the alternative side of punk we'll say i think you know again i'm not a, a music critic by trade of course but that's the kind of sound and i i liked it and this for me in the movie, like this is another like an emotional part of the movie where he's, you know, this daydream that he has. And I'd be interested to know how the book treated this. Oh, I have a clip for that for you. class gets up and everybody's cheering and they're pick them up they put them on their shoulders <laughs> yeah for the four people on earth who have not seen that scene that's when ralphie is daydreaming when he hands in his theme about how the teacher is going to react to it and it's the whole dream sequence of of her just you know gushing over this and writing a plus 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 on the board and all the kids are carrying him on his shoulders yeah and i just got i don't know um how the book treated this but i think it really captures the emotion of what it's like to be a kid and to believe that that like everything can kind of line up this way <laughs> for you yeah um i don't remember this scene in the book there is a whole extended scene related to this and we're going to get to it in a later track here okay um i I do have. I brought something for you though, Jay. Yeah. This is the entire text of his theme that, as far as we know it. Are you ready? Yeah. What I want for Christmas is a Red Rider BB gun with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time. I think everybody should have a Red Rider BB gun. They're very good for Christmas. I don't think a football is a very good Christmas present. That's his entire theme that he was stressing about and, you know, writing, what is that, five sentences, four maybe? Yeah, that's, that's not a lot of content. <laughs> now, if you, if you want to go movie nerd, there is a slight editing and continuity error in this because he mentions he doesn't think a football is a very good Christmas present. This is at the beginning of the movie. We don't right. see the football thing with Santa Claus until right. much, much, probably an hour later or you know, maybe a little less, 45 okay. minutes, an hour later in there. So it's either an interesting callback that Santa mentions this later, or it was originally meant to be the, the other way around where he saw Santa before he wrote this. And I kind of feel like that's how the book treated it, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. You know, I never paid attention to that because I just assume like almost cliche. It's like what it's like a football is what you just assume, you know, 1950s kid wants, you know, that's yeah. it. I have one more note about uh, Ralphie's theme, and this is a real inside baseball one. If you look at the paper when Ralphie gets it back, it has a C plus on it. Ralphie spelled Christmas wrong 
in the title, what I want for Christmas. He he misses the R. It's just kiss. Really? I seconds. never noticed that. Hold on, I got something new to look for this year. Yeah, there's a great article from Mental Floss called 25 Things to Notice in a Christmas Story. I'll put the link in the show notes. That's where I got that one from. They even have a screen cap of it. It's really 25 great. things. All right, that's a mental floss you said? Yeah, I, I, the link will be in the show notes. Right on. Uh, as well as all the you know, source material. You know, I consider this to be a, like a doctoral thesis kind of here, what we're doing today. Right, right. 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 If I was ever going to uh, go for a PhD, it would be in a Christmas story. Right, right. Yeah. There should be. All right. So let's move on to track number eight, They Traded Bullfrog. All right, Jay. So that was They Traded Bullfrog. A couple notes on this one here. I had trouble remembering this scene from the movie, and I discovered why. The reason was I watch this movie every year now on TBS, not the original movie on iTunes that obviously I own that as well. This scene gets cut. Really? For time. Yep. It's cut for time when it's on broadcast television. I did bring a clip of the scene, and I had to go find it. They traded Bullfrog. I don't believe it. Well, for Christ's sake, the Sox traded Bullfrog, the only player they got for Schottenhofer. Four eyes Schottenhofer, a utility infielder. Got a whole lot of damn team utility infielders. That's nice. So that was a scene uh, very early in the movie, probably almost, actually it is the beginning, where Ralphie comes down for breakfast. I knew that I remembered it, but I couldn't figure out why I it wasn't in my memory. Yeah, and it's funny because I, I, I'm the same way. I watch on TBS every year. I didn't remember it when I saw the name of the song. I That didn't rec- resonate with me. But then what I did re- does resonate with me is there is a scene where he's reading the newspaper that's still in the TBS version where he grumbles something about sports, and I think it's a football reference and not a baseball reference. That scene that you're talking about comes um, after Ralphie has beat up Farkas and swore and uh, Randy's under the sink crying because daddy's yeah. going to kill Ralphie. Yeah. Um, the father comes home. The mother says, uh, yeah. oh, you know, Ralphie had a fight. He said, a fight? What kind of fight? And the mother just says, oh, you know how boys are. Yeah. And then she puts the paper in his hands and she sees uh, something that said, I see you know, something about the Chicago Bears. And then he completely forgets about you know, Ralphie having a fight and moves on to the Bears. And he calls them the terror of the midway, and that's wrong. I don't remember what the real thing is. It might be like the monsters of the midway or something. But yeah. you're right. It's not the only newspaper scene uh, in the movie, but this one is at the very beginning. Yeah. I just, I just, that, I know now that I, I heard you say this, now I know it's cut, but that's so funny because I, I, you know, it's been so many years since I've seen it not on TBS. I don't know if I've ever told you this. Every year on TBS, I record one of the showings of the 24-hour marathon, and I keep the commercials in. And the reason that I do that is oh, neat. we had a, a VHS tape growing up. And, and you know anybody who's under 30 has no idea what a VHS tape is. Look, look it up, kids. It's in a museum. <laughs> um, but eventually, seeing reruns of Frosty the Snowman and the Peanuts wore thin as we were like 12, 13 years old, but it became fun to watch that tape just for the commercials because the commercials were six, seven, eight years old at that point. Right. And what I wanted for my daughter was I wanted her to have a year by year copy with the commercials so that it was more of a snapshot in time. Like for instance, the year she was born, she could see the, the commercials that were on TV the year that she was born. So I do that every year for a Christmas story and the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade. So those are the only ones we watch. Honestly, we put them on. We put it on the background. I don't think I ever sit down and watch this movie, including when it's on TBS. I'll walk in and out of the room. I'll see scenes that I like. I'll chuckle. And some at some point after walking in the room enough times, I've seen the entire movie, but not in a linear fashion. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, that, and I love that that part of it. You know, just anytime it can just bebop in and out. And it's uh, I like commercials. I mean, this is another could be another podcast. I like commercials. Market to me. I, I enjoy. seeing 
seeing them. And I love the old commercials. I will love, I love watching things just for that purpose. And we have a couple of movies that are holiday movies that we have like on our DVR that just sit there and every year we pop up and it's only, you know, a few years that have gone by, but still the commercials, I mean, it's still, I still like watching the old ones, even if it's just a few years ago. Yeah, I think it's great. Now, I have a couple notes on Bullfrog here. Okay. And and you might complain that I'm being a little too nitpicky. It's good. It's a movie. <laughs> and it's a, you know, it's not supposed to be historically accurate. But I, just, I think this is interesting for people who really love the movie as much as we do. There was a player with a nickname Bullfrog on the Chicago White Sox. Okay. His name his name was Bill Dietrich, but he Dietrich, but he was never traded. He was released from the team in 1946. Now, in this movie, we never get a definitive date that it takes place, but there are context clues like The Wizard of Oz being popular, Little Orphan Annie, right. the make and model of the cars, and a lot of people agree that that would put this movie about 1939 or 1940. Okay, so, so before that. Before he was actually traded. Okay. So just thought that was kind of interesting. There's another continuity error in the movie that I noticed. And I'm as, I, as far as I know, I'm the only one who noticed it because I put it up on moviemistakes.com or really? whatever the site is. Yeah. You remember the scene where they're trying to get a Flick to put his tongue on the flagpole? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and he gets it stuck. Right. When that scene opens, they do the shot from high up at the top of the flagpole and they show the flag. The flag has 50 stars on it. And there would not have been 50 stars in 1940. Interesting. Because, uh, yes. Yeah, I, th- I believe there would have been 48. I think Alaska and Hawaii had not been added yet. And I think it's like you know, 10 years later or something. Yeah, post-World War II, right? Yeah. Right. Interesting. So thought that was pretty cool. Moving right along, track number nine, I Got a Zeppelin. Okay, Jay, this this song, I really like it because it's such a it's a snapshot of such a tiny part of this movie, but I really love it. In the movie, it's almost a throwaway scene. Let me play a clip. Christmas had come, officially. We plunged into the cornucopia, quivering with desire and the ecstasy of unbridled avarice. Didn't I get a tie this year? Can of Simon eyes. So my hat's off to you, Mike, for writing this one. I just, <laughs> I thought it was great. Yeah. So this thing is for me, this Zeppelin, the image of this Zeppelin is something that is just burned into my memory. And I, the first, from the moment I first saw this movie, I wanted this Zeppelin and this had, I don't know if other people have, you know, similar with other objects, but the Zeppelins themselves, like just the idea of it, like that something existed, that man created such a thing at one point said, this would be a good idea to create these massive giant, like, I know this has nothing to do with Christmas. So that when I saw that in the movie, I was like, wow, that was a toy. So I would have wanted that. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're just saying it resonates. Right. With exactly. You. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Now to be even more annoying, Jay, I brought a clip from the audio book of this section because it provides extra context. Okay. Yeah. Cool. For the scene. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Next to me in harness, my kid brother silently, doggedly stripped package after package until he hit the Zeppelin. It was the jackpot. Wow, a Zeppelin. Whoopee, wow. Falling over sideways with an ear-splitting yell, he launched it upward into the middle branches of the tree. Two glass angels and a golden bugle crashed to the floor, and a string of lights winked out. It's not supposed to fly, you nut, I said. Ah, uh, what good is a Zeppelin that don't fly? It rolls and beeps. Instantly, he was on his knees, pushing the Graf Zeppelin, beeping fiendishly, propellers clacking across the living room rug. It was a sound that was to become sickeningly familiar in the months ahead. I suspect even at that moment, my mother knew that one day the Zeppelin would um, mysteriously disappear, never to beep again. Okay, now I know that was kind of a longer clip, but I think that's why this song 
resonates with me so well is because he goes into great detail just about that gift. And Ralphie was the one that bought it for Randy. And in the movie, it's it's very, very brief. It's, you know, just what, a couple seconds where he says, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Zeppelin, whoopee, and that's it. But to hear that he threw it in the tree and, and all that stuff, I just really liked that. What do you think? Yeah, I, I did. I, that, that's, a, that's a really nice get, uh, share that you put in there. I hadn't, obviously haven't heard the book or read the book, so I had no idea. But, you know, also, I will point out, uh, Dick Cavett, great to hear. That's going to be an awesome listen. I'm definitely going to have to check that out this year. Yeah, please go buy that book. I don't really want Audible suing me. Sorry, I, I, we're probably not supposed to use that clip, but uh, it was... Yeah, I'm an Audible subscriber, <laughs> and I will, I will get a copy of this. Yeah, and uh, this is for purposes of education. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You just educated me. That's so cool. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't, I would encourage anybody. This is in all seriousness. Um, if you liked this movie, you will love the book and you'll love all the, the wrinkles and the inner turns that, that some of these plot points take on because they're so well explained. Yeah. It sounds like a ton of depth. It is. It's, uh, it's just so much fun. I've probably listened to that book 25 times. I listen to it every single season. Actually, uh, I, I, I listen to it while I'm putting up my lights. People always ask me, Oh yeah, cool. They're like, how about you help me put up my lights and I'll help you put up yours. And I really like doing it by myself because I like listening to my books. It's part of the whole tradition. Yes. You know, I've been overruled by my wife who doesn't want me as the sole breadwinner of the family up on a ladder. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, almost falling. I really have no business on a ladder. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of stories of, you know, indigenous peoples and, uh, you know, going on like spirit walks as they make like a journey each year. And it's like off by themselves into the wilderness and they have to be alone for like a couple of days and you come back. And I, that for me was always hanging my Christmas lights every year. It was like a 12 hour affair where I went outside (laughs) in like a flannel with like 50 beers and like, just leave your cigars (laughs) and like, leave me alone. I'll be done when I'm, I'll be, you know, and I would come in as night would fall, you know, chapped face. (laughs) Bruce. You know, I was just, when you were talking about that, it made me think of all of the times you and I used to go walking in the woods growing up. And as an adult, I would love to have a yellow lab or chocolate lab, you know, either one, and listen to this book and just me and the dog, you know, maybe a huge thermos of coffee, just go walking. Maybe it's snowing. I'm listening to the book. That would, that's, that's just perfection. Solitude. Yeah, it'd be, great. it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Who would have thought that being a parent, one yeah. of the things that you'll miss most is solitude. Yeah, for my money, it doesn't get better than grilled cheese and warm tea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I had my way, I'd remove the uh, toilet from the guest bathroom and I just put a uh, like a Barker lounger in there. You because know, it's the only place anybody leaves you alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, let's move on to track number ten. I don't want your tinker toys. Jay, I love the callback in this in the lyrics there to Black Bart. If you don't remember, Black Bart was the character that Ralphie fantasizes about being a robber, coming to the house, and and he had to protect the house with the BB gun. That was one of his justifications for owning a BB gun. Yeah. Now, is Black Bart? I don't know, and if you know this, it was he like a, a like you would say like Thanos today as somebody who's a bad guy in the in the in the zeitgeist. Or- I have no idea if there's any kind of historical accuracy to Black Bart or if it's just a, like if it was a radio thing or if it's just a name that Gene Shepard came up with. I have no idea. I do have one minor note from this and I understand why they changed it. In the book, Tinker Toys are never mentioned. The it, Actually, let me back up real quick. Let me play the clip from the movie. Here. Ralphie, what would you like for Christmas? Horrified. I heard myself blurt it out. I want an official Red Rider carbon action 2 and your wings ball arrow. No. Shoot your eye out. Oh, no. It was the classic mother BB gun block. (laughs) You'll shoot your eye out. That deadly phrase uttered many times before by hundreds of mothers was not surmountable by any means known to kiddom. But such was my mania, my desire for a Red Rider carbine, that I immediately began to rebuild the dike. (laughs) I was just kidding. Even though Flick is getting one. I guess I just like some Tinker Toys. I couldn't believe my own ears. Tinker Toys? She never buy it. This is a minor note, Jay, but in the movie he says, uh, I guess I'll just have some Tinker Toys. In the book, 
he doesn't mention Tinker Toys. He says he wants a Sandy Andy. Really? Now, I looked up what a Sandy Andy was, and you might want to pull it up while I'm talking here. It's a toy from the 30s. It's like a tin toy style thing, and the sand you know falls from one cup to the other. And I guess it was very popular in the 30s. That's not a very important point at all. I understand why they didn't use it in the movie, because nobody would have known what a, t- what a Sandy Andy was. I had to go look it up myself. But I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. It's like a simple machine. Yeah, exactly. This is, it looks, it looks like in a 30 toys were work. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You can also also cut yourself and get tetanus. uh, It looks like from the thirties. I did wonder while I was doing the research for this, were Tinker toys invented, you know, by the thirties? And the answer is yes. They were invented in 1914. Okay. And you know, this, this brings up another point that I hadn't thought of until just now. I started thinking hard about this movie because that's the kind of geek I am. Yeah. And I wondered, did they even have air rifles, BB guns in the 30s? Oh, they must have. Well, I, th- I thought, no. you know, if you think about it, you and I both had BB guns and they were, the ones that right. we had were fairly technically advanced. They, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I remember you shooting me in the ear. <laughs> From the hip about 50 yards away, and it went into the inside of my <laughs> ear. It worked quite yeah, well. Yeah, and then you and I had a Q-tip, and we were trying to see if there was an actual BB lodged in my ear. <laughs> yeah, I remember you sneaking me back into my house by my mom because there was blood coming <laughs> out of my ear. Yeah. It was pretty bad. Uh, the answer is yes. BB guns yeah. were invented in, like, uh, 1890s, which really, really surprised me. I didn't, I didn't imagine they would have had the technology to build, like, an air-compressed rifle, but I'm wrong. It, they, they did. Yeah. Yeah, I because it. the father says, I, the, and the other thing was, the father says, I had one when I was his age. And I thought, no, yeah. if this is the 30s and he's in his 40s, it actually, the, the timetable does make sense. Well, that's, you know, I never realized up until now. I mean, I, I think coming into this episode, I, I realized I didn't know exactly what year the the movie was set in. But now I didn't realize they never say it at any point in the film. There's nothing that gives it away other than context no, uh, clues, like you said. The only uh, overt reference that puts it in a thing is when he breaks his glasses by stepping on them. He said, uh, and I don't have the exact quote, but it's like, nothing will get you in trouble like in the depression like breaking a pair of your glasses. Yes. So he mentions okay. the depression. Yeah, that makes sense, right. So it would have been the, the mid to late 30s. Right, right. Or, he, or maybe he might say depression era. I don't, I don't, I don't remember, but right. that's the only like overt thing that you could, you could actually attach a time to. Right, right. Okay. Let's move on to a a, a related song here, track number 11, I Won't Shoot My Eye Out. I have a clip from the movie, but it's not this exact scene. That's actually the the last clip we played when he was sitting at the breakfast table saying, uh, you know, I want a BB gun. She says, no, you shoot your eye out. Right. I brought another scene, which I thought was pretty good, which is when he asks Santa Claus for the BB gun. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Now, that's a great scene from the movie where he gets on Santa's lap and his mind blanks. And he forgets what he wants. And he's, you know, you hear the inner monologue like, you know, wake up, stupid. And the, the, the Santa's like, let's move it along here. And he's like, how yeah. about a nice football? And Ralphie's like, yeah, yeah, football. And then... Santa takes him off his lap or the elf helper takes him off his lap and puts him on the slide. And as Ralphie's sliding down, he puts his feet out to stop himself, claws his way back up. And that's when he says, no, 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 I want, I want the, the, the Red Rider BB gun. I mean, this is another seminal moment from the movie. In fact, uh, it's the cover on some of the editions where he's looking up at Santa and, and right. And he's holding, holding on for dear life there. Yeah. And that, you can just picture that boot coming down on him. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, Santa puts the boot on his, on his face and kicks him down. He screams from kids in Higby's as like at different parts of the Higby scene, like you can, kids can be heard screaming in the background as they're summarily dismissed from Santa's lap. And it's great. 
Well, it's funny you say that, Jay, because this is part of the Scott Newman thesis uh, for my my PhD in a Christmas story. I've been okay. thinking about this scene a lot. Okay. When we see this, when when all the other kids are on Santa's lap, you hear in the background, you hear joyous laughter. You never hear screaming. There is one kid, and that's the kid in front of him in line that's wearing the, the pilot cap with the uh, the goggles. Yeah. For he, what purpose, he, we still don't know, but yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. I like the Wizard <laughs> of Oz. Did he pilot an airplane there yeah. that night? He cries, and Ralphie's brother cries. But all the other kids that we hear are enjoying themselves. The, here's my thesis. Are you ready for this? My theory is that Ralphie's memory of Santa Claus is very negative. And he's like, Santa's mean, and he's like, ho, 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 and he gets the boot on his face, and he gets kicked down. Yeah. And I think that reality is actually different than his memory, because all the other kids we hear, the Santa's being super nice, and ho, 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 and nothing mean. He's only mean to Ralphie, and I really think really? that's Ralphie's memory. In fact, when you when he slides down the slide and he's sitting in the the, uh, the the fluff in the bottom there, the fake snow, you hear the Santa Claus being really nice again. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> okay, down you go. Bye, bye, Chris. Merry Christmas! <laughs> so all the other ones we hear are are really happy now. Unfortunately, right. the producer Bob Clark was killed about 10 years ago by a drunk driver, which is really sad. If he were alive, I would absolutely write him a letter, reach out and find out if what I think was an intentional choice he made as the director of the movie. Yeah. Interesting. So we'll never know. The world will never know. Hey everybody. This is Scott coming to you during editing. I can just feel some listeners composing their angry emails to me right now because I misspoke. I am wrong. The other kids in the background are screaming, but my original point still stands that Santa Claus was much more pleasant in that little audio clip after Ralphie had seen him than he was while Ralphie was on his lap. So hit delete right now on your angry emails and let's get back to the show. There is one more interesting thing about this. Now, this song, I'll, I won't shoot my ad, specifically mentioning when he's at the breakfast table, the, the clip that we played for the previous song. There is a whole deleted scene about this. There's a deleted scene where his teacher, Miss Shields, is so moved by Ralphie's theme that she comes to the house, visits his mother, and argues on his behalf for him to get a BB gun. And I'll put the link in the show notes. I I don't know if it was ever filmed. I think it might have been. But it's in the actual written script. And then after that fantasy, he goes on to look at comic books. And he fantasizes about Flash Gordon. Now, actually, I've just realized that I'm a little bit off here. This is when he's fantasizing when he's writing his theme. Not when he's at the table. I misspoke. Sorry. Okay. But he's thinking about comic books. And now he starts fantasizing about a scene with Flash Gordon. The scene was actually filmed, and there is a still image from it of him standing next to Flash Gordon. No footage ever survived of that, though. And Flash Gordon's actor is listed in the credits. That will also be in the deleted scenes link that I put in the show notes. And I just, I would give anything to see that scene. Obviously, there's no way. It's never going to happen. But I just think that's so neat. When When you have a movie that you've seen so much and you know inside and out, to find out that there was this whole scene that, honestly, if, if you and I saw it, it would feel so disjointed. Like, where did this come from? It's not part of our memory. And it's it's um, it's in the script, you said, so you, yeah. we can actually read this. You can actually read it. The link is in the show notes. It's from uh, the, the site, achristmasstoryhouse.com slash, like, deleted scenes or something. I think we got to shoot this scene. <laughs> I think we got to find a way to make this happen. All right, you go down to Renna Center, get some equipment, and I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, no I'll find a Flash Gordon costume, all right? <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we're on the 12th and final track here. This is Electric Sex. I 
Now, Jay, earlier in, in the show, I said that one of the tracks felt like it was lifted straight from a Green Day album. This one, to me, feels like it was lifted straight from a Weezer album. Yeah, I have to agree. And this is, I mean, perhaps in a movie full of iconic moments, Scott, is this is Electric Sex in that leg lamp the most iconic? Yeah, absolutely. And it was kind of a throwaway line in the movie. I have a clip. The entire neighborhood was turned on. Oh, you should see what it looks like from out here. It could be seen up and down Cleveland Street, the symbol of the old man's victory. If he won that, it's a major award. <laughs> Isn't it about time for somebody's favorite radio program? Yeah. yeah. Holy smokes, it was 645. Only one thing in the world could have dragged me away from the soft glow of electric sex gleaming in the window. <laughs> now, a quick note on that, Jay. I love that writing, though, the soft glow of electric sex gleaming in the yeah, window. A quick note on that, scene, on that exact scene. The neighbor that is talking to Ralphie's father, who is never mentioned, his name is never mentioned in the movie. There, he's only known as the old man. A lot of people think right. that the neighbor says, damn, Hal, you want it? The, the line in the script is actually, damn, hell. You want it. So it's not It's not Hal. He's only just known as the old man. Oh, damn Hal. Okay. Uh, I don't remember the, the name of the character, but he's, you know, the, the neighbor. He's wearing a, you know, a hat and, and everything, and and uh, he's the father is professing that this is a major award. That character is Bob Clark, the director of the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah? That's the director. Oh, so he's yep. in it more than once. Okay, all right, cool. Or not more than once. All right. So he's- oh, I know. I remember his name now. It was Swede. He says, uh, "Not now, Swede." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Admit, leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. He, like brushes him off. Yeah, that was the late Bob Clark in there. Yeah, and I love the. I forget the name of the actor who plays the dad, the old man. And he was in something else I just recently watched too, coincidentally. But when he's when he um, exclaims, "You should see what it looks like from out here!" <laughs> yeah. Like just like the genuine nature yeah. of that. That yeah, it he, just sounds. It's, it's wonderful me. acting. You can actually feel his excitement and pride. From that. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Exactly. Okay, now I brought one more clip here. This is again from the audiobook uh, with just a little more exposition about this scene. Meanwhile, the lamp itself had attracted a considerable personal following among cruising prides of pimply faced adolescents who, night after night, could hardly wait for darkness to fall and the soft, sinuous radiation of passion to light up the drab, dark corners of Cleveland Street. Night after night, kids' eyes glowed in the darkness out on the street before our house, like predatory carnivores of the jungle in full cry. Night after night, the lady's leg sent out its silent message. So uh, I, I thought that clip was interesting, Jay, because it just adds a little more about how big a deal this was in that time. Today, if I have that lamp in my office, it, and there's yeah. there's nothing obscene about it, but in the right. 30s... I can see how that would have been a really big deal. Yeah, I mean, huge. I mean, just showing a little ankle, I think, was like a really big deal, right? Then, so you're talking about a leg and fishnets in the in a picture window and in like a, a neighborhood like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, TV, like you know, household TV was not yet a thing, right? right? And it would come years later, and men and women wouldn't sleep in the same right, bed right. yet. So yeah, yeah. So a lady's <laughs> leg and fishnet stockings would have been a really big deal. Now I have a little. Yeah, this is a leap forward. Yeah, I have a little extra information about this whole major award that the old man wins here all right in the book his father is constantly playing newspaper contests and there's a there's an homage to it in the movie because the mother's looking at the father and he's looking at the paper and she says is that another one of your silly puzzles that's the like what was the lone ranger's nephew's horse and he said you know could be worth fifty thousand bucks well that was never in the movie I'm, i'm sorry that was never in the book in the book it's always about contests in the newspaper he was trying to win he, they actually, the story leads you through the process of him going through like the finals and actually winning. The contest was put on by the Moxie Soda Company. Right. Uh, I know that. Um, which is never mentioned in the movie at all. And there's a great line in the book. And when he's describing this major award, the leg lamp, and he said it was obviously a woman who had dined well and matured. <laughs> and I just thought, <laughs> I just thought that was so great. Um, <laughs> And uh, I, I did look it up to see if Moxie, the soda company, had ever done something like this. And they did sponsor contests, but this was not the prize. So 
I don't know, must be just from the mind and the imagination of Gene Shepard, uh, which is a testament to how funny the guy was. And if you ever get interested, you can pull up his old radio programs on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, maybe I'm being dense about this, but like, what was he doing? What was he competing? Like, what was the contest? That's the part I didn't get. Like, I well, he didn't he didn't know that the the prize was going to be this right. lamp. And in the movie, he says, "Well, you know, maybe it could be a bowling alley." Yeah, yeah, yeah. She says, "How are they going to deliver a bowling alley tonight?" So he doesn't know what the prize right, is, right. which makes it even funnier that it's. It's really kind of a crummy lamp. Yeah, but it was something, you know, that's yeah. like, it just go, it goes to show to like, there's that very nature of like, there's something like, you know, like, oh, there's a 5k, you can go outside and run up this hill for the next half an hour and you get a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, how yeah. to do that? <laughs> so he doesn't, you know, that's why he just call it, it's the major award and he's just, you know, smitten with the idea of winning and being, you know, a big shot, a, a, a famous person. Right, right. So I just think, I think that's pretty funny. And then, that story from the short story also goes into, you know, how the mother broke it. And in, in the, the movie, she breaks that leg lamp, you know, within a couple of days. Right. In the book, it's not until the spring that she breaks mm. it. And then they don't speak for three days. But she does break it. She does break it. You know, and the whole, like, you were jealous of that lamp and, and all that. She, but And they don't speak for three days. So really, really funny scene. That's the last I'm going to, uh, you know, be a total nerd and, and tell you why the book was different. It, kudos to you, the listener, if you've gotten this far and, and haven't bailed on me, uh, being annoying about that. So I appreciate everybody letting us just kind of riff on... The, our favorite movie, and also a really great album. Those 12 tracks are fabulous. Again, that is the album You'll Shoot Your Eye Out by Ralphie's Red Riders. You can also find other music by the same band under the name Vista Blue, and I'll put that link as well in the show notes. Yeah, Scott, you know, I appreciate you being self-effacing about your your passion for the subject matter here and your uh, your PhD that you've given yourself in the subject matter here, if there were such a thing. I, I love this, man. I know I have a bias, but I th- this made it, like, I, there's so much that I learned today about this movie that I watch every year so many times that this was great, man. I loved it. Oh, I appreciate that very much. And it was a lot of fun. We've come to the part of the show where we each pick our favorite tracks. So Jay, what was your favorite track from the album? You'll shoot your eye out. Yeah, I, I, I definitely spoiled it earlier. I'm going to have to go with, I can't put my arms down. Totally agree that that is an awesome track. My favorite one is I'm going to get an A plus on my theme. Yeah. Nice. I just I loved uh, I loved both of the songs, the one you picked and the one I picked. I can't put my arms down. Has that real great punk feel. The I'm gonna get an A plus on my theme has that great Weezer feel that I just love yeah. so much. Punk punk ballad, man. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So much fun. So I want to thank Mike for sending me the album, giving us the opportunity to do this. This was a lot of fun, Jay. And and you know when else are we gonna get to talk about this movie? I think this is it, right? This is we've we yeah. have now peaked. Yeah, this is awesome. And Mike and this band. I definitely will buy a copy of this album and just fantastic music. I'm so psyched that we got to cover this. And, uh, you know, just the fact that these guys made something about something that means so much to, to me and to us, you know, it was just such a great experience to listen to it. So awesome music. And I, I can't wait to hear other, other uh, work these guys do. Absolutely. I hope, I hope they do this again. I was uh, rewatching the movie and going through scenes. I thought of at least 10 more tracks they could do. Yeah, but yeah, uh, definitely. Mike gets a lot of credit for what he wrote here because it is really creative, and he picked some just really interesting, you know, very tight moments and made entire yeah. songs out of them. I just think that's I, I can't stop gushing about this. I yeah, just yeah, you just it. pull on a thread, and there's more there. And like, listen, Mike, if you guys are looking for an idea like a spinoff to this, I think you know the kid with the aviator hat on and the goggles. What is that kid's deal? Why did he have that on? Like, what is his story? Yep, I, I want to hear a no. song about that kid, and, and also maybe you could make it the album art or something. I, you know, I put one of those aviator helmets on yourself, Mike. Take a photo and and make that the promo for it. I would just love that. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thanks everybody for joining us today. I know this was a bit of a longer episode and it was a departure from what we normally do, but I hope you enjoyed it as much as we do. We'll be back uh, at our normal time for our next regular episode, but thanks for joining us today. This was awesome. Thanks so much, everyone. Take care. All music used in this episode is property of its respective copyright owner, and no infringement is intended. These clips were played under the expectation of fair use for purposes of education or commentary. You can find links to all the songs we played in the show notes. 
please don't sue us. We don't make any money from this. 